G'day everybody, and for those who come in late, you're listening to X-Band, the Phantom Podcast. Washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom! The ghost who walks the Enemies beware The phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom He finds Hello, we are the Chronicle Chamber team, and this is X-Band, the Phantom Podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com, and you can contact us via our email at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram and YouTube as well. So um, make sure you check us out there. If you want to subscribe to us on our, um, on our podcast, you can via YouTube, where we have a video podcast. Uh, iTunes and Android uh, and the various Android apps if you prefer listening to it on audio while you're driving in the car. Now, this is episode 186, and I'm really excited about this. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Ben Rabb. Now, if that name um, doesn't quite sound familiar, we'll, uh, we'll introduce uh, Ben, and I'm sure we'll We'll get your memories uh, ticking over as well. So my name is Jermaine, and today I am joined today by Ben. Ryan. Nice to meet you. <laughs> how are you going, Ben? Um, unfortunately, yeah. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Now, unfortunately, uh, Dan and Steve won't be joining us today. Um, they've been called away with their uh, school teaching duties. Uh, one's at a camp and one's in hospital at the moment, uh, looking after someone who's um, uh, who's, who's had a, a slight a head injury uh, during sport. So uh, it's just me today. But um, Ben, uh, do you prefer Ben Benjamin? Um, what what do you prefer? I mean, Ben's fine. Yeah, I. I in print and uh on television i go by benjamin but everyone calls me ben no worries i gotta ask I've, my brother's my brother's name is ben and um i gotta sometimes he likes ben sometimes he likes benjamin so uh, i just figure you just gotta ask <laughs> yeah no fair question um so thank you for joining us um to start off with I was just wondering if you could start off telling us a little bit about yourself um tell us how old you are or the range, if you don't want to give exact dates, uh, where you grew up. Um, and then, and then I guess we could just go from there about, you know, uh, learning a bit about you and then we'll get into the phantom. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I'm older than dirt and, uh, I'm originally from New York. Um, I don't have the traditional New York accent, even though I grew up on uh, Long Island, like everyone, you know, it's got the accent from New York. You think they talk like this. That's not really how I speak. Um, but, uh, for most of my life, I have been a, uh, you know, comic book writer, TV writer, um, fan of genre material. Um, and now I'm lucky enough to be able to do that for a living. Um, I've been, I started my career in comics in the mid nineties at Marvel. I was an intern, um, worked at Marvel for about, uh, four years. Uh, I was the assistant editor on the X-Men books before I went freelance and started writing comics professionally. Uh, I worked for Marvel. I worked for DC. I worked for Moonstone. I've worked for Egmont. I've worked for a lot of different publishers. Um, and, uh, that was back in the mid to late nineties, early two thousands. And then uh, my wife and I, at the time, it was just the two of us before we had kids, we, we moved to Los Angeles. 
uh, for her work. And that's when I started the journey to try and become a, a film and TV writer, um, which took quite a while. But uh, eventually I did land my first job in television, which was a TV show called Warehouse 13. Um, I have a writing partner. His name is Derek Hughes. We've been working together pretty much for 20 some odd years. Um, wow. We actually met in a comic book store, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, we refer to it as our geek cute. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, we, we, we started that journey together and it's, and it's one that that's taken a while, but like I said, we, 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 we got our start in TV on, on a show called warehouse 13. And we were on that for the entire run of the show, all five seasons. After that, we worked on a show, uh, for two seasons called beauty and the beast, um, which featured, uh, Australian actor, um, oh crap. What the hell's that guy's name? <laughs> I forgot his name's gone completely out of my head. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I feel so bad. Um, it was Kristen Kruk, who used to be on Smallville. And I'll quickly, I'm quickly trying to Google it so I can try yeah. and save it. Oh, you. it's so bad. <laughs> so uh, I never actually met the guy. Never, <laughs> uh, Jesus. Anyway, but he's, he's, he's from your neck of the woods. Um, and, uh, uh, after uh, Beauty and the Beast, we ended up on The Flash, which we did for a season, and worked on a season of the third season of the TV show Scream for MTV. Um, we worked on Arrow for two seasons, and currently we are writing on a TV show called Legacies, which is the second spinoff from The Vampire Diaries. Uh, was it Jay, Jay Ryan? Jay Ryan. I knew it was something Ryan. Yes, Jay Ryan. Uh, and for those who are interested, it is on Stan, which is a, uh, a TV provider, as, um, TV show provider as well. So, um, Oh, please, yeah. yeah, please watch it because then if we get, <laughs> we get foreign residuals, that's great. I actually just got some from Beauty and the Beast today, which is not a lot, but I'll take it. <laughs> no worries. Well, I, I will admit I've never watched Beauty and the Beast, but I, I really enjoyed um, Warehouse 13 and Flash and Arrow as well. So, um, Thank you. I've got some questions about that later down the track as well. So, um, yeah, sure. Now, so you said that you were an editor at, at Marvel first, and then uh, that's where you kind of uh, broke into. Is that correct? Yes. No worries. So, did you always want to be a writer? You know, it's funny. Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I mean, like honestly, like most most kids, you know, you 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 have dreams of being an astronaut. You have dreams of being a rock star. You have dreams of all these other things, and and because you you're readily shown what it is someone does. When it came to comics, if you don't stop and actually sit and look at the credits page, you don't know exactly how these things are made and so the the idea of, of being a comic writer was wasn't something that i was like oh that's that's a job path it wasn't until i had gotten out of college actually um with an english lit degree that really didn't qualify me for anything uh <laughs> other than you know having read a bunch of books um and learned how to write papers and stuff um there, there was no sense of like i didn't have an, an awareness that oh i could be a comic book writer or editor, or, I mean, I certainly wasn't an artist, so that was never going to be a path for me. But, um, but I, I had taken a couple of screenwriting classes in college and two of the scripts that I had written just, just for fun, like in, in my senior year, um, and this is the early nineties. So that dates me. Um, when, you know, there was rumor that there was going to be an X-Men movie. I was like, well, I'm a huge X-Men fan. I'm going to be the guy who writes that you know such luck um but those two scripts that i wrote which were were you know 
parts one and two of a trilogy um, did actually get me a meeting at Marvel Comics where I, I was basically told, look, if you, you know, if you want to, we can offer you a, a, a temporary paid internship since, you know, you're not in school anymore. Um, if, if you've got like three to four months to sort of make a, a, a splash there. And, and at this was, again, the early 90s when Marvel kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you do a good job and people like you and, you know, someone has a chance to promote an assistant, maybe they'll hire you. Um, so I started in the summer of 1993 and, uh, I worked in the special projects department, which was trading cards and posters. Um, and, uh, I was working under, uh, Bob Udiansky was the senior editor, Tom Brevoort, who I believe is now, I don't know if he's the publisher now. He's, he's, I know he's very high up there at Marvel right now. Um, and Glenn Greenberg, his assistant. Uh, so I was their intern and, you know, again, I was gathering reference for trading card sets and the set that they were working on at the time serendipitously was the X-Men hmm. set, which, um, you know, I'd been a lifelong X-Men fan. Like one of my first comics was, was, uh, X-Men 107, the issue right before John Byrne takes over on, on art, the last Dave Cockrum issue when the X-Men go into space and they're fighting the Imperial Guard. And it's just, I mean, the, the, again, the splash page from that issue is the one of my favorite pages of comic ever, comics ever. Um, it just blew my mind. Uh, but um, so because I had such a knowledge of the X-Men books, um, I was constantly in the X-Men office pulling references and never always knowing what page and panel to find for them. Yeah. So that it was like, look, I know exactly which issue I'm looking for. I'm looking for this book, this page. And it's like, it, it made it, it allowed me to sort of, go seamlessly in and out of their office without them having to stop and help me. They just showed me the file cabin. I was like, I know exactly yeah. what I'm looking for. And if you've got that issue, then I know where to find it. Um, so that made a huge impression on Bob Harris, who was the, the X-Men editor at the time. And by the end of my four months in special projects, um, I, I was lucky I, again, because this was a time when Marvel kept growing and growing. So there was a lot of promoting from within. Um, and, uh, Special projects offered me a, a job, which was really cool. And I was like, okay, well, uh, it's a full-time job and it's, you know, with salary and, and insurance benefits, like this is, this is a good gig. But then surprisingly, um, the Punisher office, the editor at the time, Don Daly was promoting his assistant to associate editor and needed a new assistant. So he came and approached me and I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is really cool. Like I've got, you know, two options here. Um, I wasn't a huge Punisher fan. Uh, and Special project was cool, but it wasn't comics. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it was like, okay, so two jobs, and I'm like, well, happy to be in the company, happy to have the opportunity, but it's not like it wasn't like the brass ring for me. Um, and then Bob Harris got wind of the fact that I was being offered these jobs, and he was about to promote his assistant. So I'll, I'll never forget because I I sat at at the return of of Glenn Greenberg's desk. That was my that was my office, right? Like, so here's the desk. Here's the return. I had a chair sitting right here, and uh, and you know, I was sitting there, and Bob Harris is like, "Walk with me." And I was like, "Okay." And so we're walking down the hall, and he's like, "So, Lisa Patrick, my my assistant, is being promoted to associate, and I'm going to need a new editor, assistant editor. What do you say? Are you interested?" And I was like, "That's the job I want." Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that was that was the job I took. And um I was I was grateful for that and I was lucky and uh I worked in that office for about around a little over two years. 
um, got to work on the Age of Apocalypse series. Um, that was a real fun project to be a part of, like to just, you know, see Joe Matarera sketches and Adam Kubert sketches of, of these alternate versions of these amazing characters coming in. Um, I remember people calling in freaking out because the word had gotten out that the X books were canceled. Like, you know, that they were, Marvel was suspending publishing on the X-Men books and everyone was like, what are you crazy? What are you doing? And I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll never forget. I was on the phone with uh, someone actually got the office number and called and, and you know, the, the reception receptionist put it through to my, to my desk. <laughs> and, and they were like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stop reading Marvel books forever. I'm never going to read another Marvel book again. If you do this. And I was like, buddy, buddy, hold on. Just, just go with this. Just trust me. You're going to enjoy it. Right. And, and because the, the, the gag was, we, yes, we were canceling the books and we were replacing them with the four issue limited series of this alternate reality version of the X-Men books. Um, and then, of course, once that was over, everything went back to normal. You know, it's just like it was a break in, 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 in the publication of the regular monthly titles to do the alt versions, mm-hmm. you know, to do Astonishing X-Men, to do Amazing X-Men. Like that was the fun of it. Um, but people were freaking out. Yeah. But anyway, so so I worked, you know, in that office for two years and and coincidentally with like, you know, my professional growth and rise, we were seeing a lot of corporate shrinking because Marvel was going bankrupt. They had, you know, there were two two years in a row, people were getting laid off around Christmas time, which really sucked. Yeah. Um and I was lucky enough that I that I that I did get to keep my job, but the 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 opportunity for growth and advancement um was was there was a little stagnation going on. And, you know, at that time I started to write comics. I got to do um, my first published short story was a, a, it was an eight page um, giant man story in the back of Avengers 375. And then I did a, a, another eight pager of uh, the black widow in Avengers 382 i think it was um so it's just you know i was really starting to dip my toe into into writing and and you know you get bit by the bug you want to do it more and more um and so uh i was like well i think this is really where i want to go with this um and and then i eventually got to work on the book excalibur for marvel um that was my first regular series oh but actually before that i did my, my first full length story was a what if um it was actually what if number 88, which the, the premise of it was what if, if Peter Parker had been bitten by a radioactive spider, but not gotten powers instead, he got cancer, but passed on the mutation to his son who was a mutant. So it was, it was called arachnomorphosis. Uh, it was drawn by um, uh, South American artist, Ariel Olivetti. It was really cool. I was just, it was just really fun to sort of play in that, you know, take, take my love of mutants, but do it in a different way with a different character like Spider-Man. Um, uh, but yeah, and then I, then I ended up getting my first regular full regular gig was Excalibur, um, with Salvador La Roca from, from Spain. And, uh, at the time I, Marvel was starting an interactive department. This was the mid nineties, like 1996. And, uh, you know, the internet was sort of booming and Marvel wanted to get in on that action and have a website. And, and they had a big deal with, with America online. Um, and needed some, they wanted someone from the editorial side who had experience with comics and characters to sort of, you know, uh, be the on the first online editor, um, which I did for about six months because at the same time I was writing comics freelance for Marvel and, and it was just a 20 hour day every day. 
And really, that's was like, what do I, what, are, you know, this, this internet thing, I, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. <laughs> so I figured, let me, let me focus on what's really going to, you know, be huge, which is writing comics. Um, like, I'll never forget, I got sent out for a conference uh, about, I, I don't know what it was about, but my, my boss sent me to San Francisco, all of like Silicon Valley's, you know, luminaries were showing up and they were making these presentations. And I was going into these, these things. I was like, oh, so it's going to be like Comic-Con, right? And it was, it was nothing like Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea what I was doing, why I was there, what I was supposed to do, who I was supposed to talk to. Like, I don't know, I don't know pardon my language, but I don't know jack about like Sun Microsystems and why I should be sitting and listening to their CEO talk. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. Yeah. And that was sort of the, mo- the moment of epiphany where I was like, I think I want to, I I was writing enough. And again, at the time there were, there were actually like royalties and stuff um, because books were selling like ridiculously uh, that I thought, you know what, let me, let me give this writing thing a shot. And I did. And I went freelance in 1997 and I kind of haven't looked back since. Yeah. Wow. Now around, I, I've read a, a, one of your interviews that you've given before about the Phantom and I believe, and I'm, hopefully you can correct me if I'm right or wrong on this, but you became a fan of the Phantom because of the Billy Zane movie. Is that correct? That is correct. That is absolutely. That is something I do remember. Yes. Um, I, I honestly had no awareness of the character, uh, you know, of, of Lee Falk or the strips or any of that until it was, I think it was the summer of 96 uh, going to Comic-Con and uh, they showed it on the plane. Oh, wow. And I was like, I'll watch this. Right. And I just, it was just so much fun. You know, like I really liked him as that character. I thought he was, I was actually a really good casting choice. Um, uh, And it was just, just such a fun movie, a, you know, great ride that I was like, huh, that's really cool. And I'm, and I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't know more about him at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, But it was, it was a pleasant surprise and it kind of opened my eyes to the character. Yeah. So yes, that is, that is, correct awesome so um and then i believe around uh, a year or two later you managed to get the job at egmont which as an american writer that was not something that they'd usually done before um how did you get that gig if i remember that correctly i believe it was john cassidy uh who introduced us oh. uh me to ulf granberg um i think ulf was i know we were still in new york uh Ulf was in town. I'm not exactly sure what for, but I believe he was trying to get John to do some work. And and because John was a huge Phantom fan, um, you know, he's like, "Oh, you should meet you know meet my friend Ben. He's a you know comic book writer. He, you know, he, he he loves the movie, so he likes the character. Uh, so you know, you know, if you if you're interested, you know, if you ever look like because he knew that he hired artists from all over the world, right? Yes. From Europe, Spain, you know, all these different places. It wasn't just Scandinavian art. Um, so he was like you know, if you ever need writing, talk to him. And so that's when I started, you know, brushing up on the Phantom and learning a little bit more about the character. Um, and then, yeah, he, he gave me my, 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 my first Phantom work. No worries. So your first Phantom story, well, the first one that was published, I believe is the temple. Yes. Um, was that the first one you wrote? I believe it was. Yeah. <laughs> So that was uh, that was in 1999. Uh, it was art was by uh, uh, Joan Boyx, uh, yep. and it was about the 19th Phantom. Um, and I believe there was a, a chain from um, 
what was it called from Samson, I believe it was. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, um, there was me trying to sort of like take the you know a little bit of mythology that I love and, yeah. and sort of you know bring it into the Phantom world. Yeah, and and I guess that's the beauty about the Phantom is the fact that there's so much. There's 400 years. There's you know all the artifacts and stuff like that. It's quite fun to get those into a Phantom story. Yes. Yeah. Um, no. And 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 it's it's uh, like I said before we started the interview and we were talking like just the idea that, that how history can sort of influence your storytelling hmm. and especially when you have a character that is is history is just a central part of of who the character is and tradition and, and the passing down of things um that's just something i love to write about yeah yeah um so how did you find working with team phantom and like was it because obviously you'd worked in dc and marvel at that stage and then working for a, a, a European publisher, was there much difference? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, their their approach again because it was this one specific character, as opposed to a character who inhabits a larger universe. Yeah. Um, everything was in service of maintaining the legacy of the character, maintaining the the history and the and and having to sort of also you know like what is quote unquote phantom approved, right? What is King, you know, King features, obviously having a say ultimately in things like, which we dealt with more when I worked with Moonstone, I think than, than really with Egmont. I think, you know, Ulf was more of the, he was more of the keeper of phantom lore and continuity. Um, even though he was open to certain things, it all kind of had to sort of fit within mm. what his, what the, what the Scandinavian publishing audience wanted to see, or, you know what I mean? Um, certainly the way the art was done this is something that was 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 you know a bit of an education for me because you know obviously here in the U.S. the style of the art and when you write you can write toward you know a double page spread which is a single image you know or or a single splash page that wasn't something that that I was going to be able to do for Egmont Egmont was like no we have very specific parameters for what the artists can do visually so you have to write to that yeah so yeah. that was i think the, that was probably the biggest difference but everything else was was great i mean he was uh, always lovely I, I really enjoyed working with him yeah we've had him on the podcast before and he's he's um oh, he's, he's, a, he's a lovely guy to talk to he's just got you know all the stories and um we we did a podcast once about the top 20 phantom influences throughout the whole history and he was easily in the top five. Oh yeah um, yeah just he's such, know, just such a huge fan yeah yeah, yeah, just like with his knowledge and, 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 and the way, what he did for such a long period of time, like from, the, I think it was from the 70s up until yeah. 2011 or something like that. It's just right. it's just amazing. So what about the language barrier? Was there much of a, a language barrier? Obviously, um, you're writing in English and all that and then it being translated to Swedish and then for the Australian comics, which I've got a couple here, which you've written, yeah. it would then get translated from swedish back to english yeah um you know it's funny like i actually never did a side-by-side comparison with the, like the scripts that i turned in which then got translated which then got translated back to english like i don't know if they just maybe just you use i'd have to look at it and see if they use the actual well, if i can find those files um if they use the actual english dialogue that was originally done and just put that in the australian ed- edition which would have made the most sense because it was written yeah. you know for that <laughs> Um, 
I, I don't remember there ever being any like mistranslation of the story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that, like, like whatever art was delivered again, you know, Boix is what he's from Barcelona. So it's like, so this is so many different, like, you know, layers of translation of this. Um, but it all came together seamlessly. So, you know, full credit to, to Ulf and his, and his team that they, they managed to, you know, from what I delivered as, as the writer to what ended up on the page, I couldn't tell you that there's any, any radical difference. Oh, awesome. So just to kind of give you a bit of an idea in the team fans, man. So Boix was um, Spanish. Uh, Spadero was South American from Argentina, oh. who's just okay. recently passed away. Uh, oh. Filming, who um, uh, filming's from Italy, um, and then you got Paul Ryan, who's from America, of yep. course, and then yep. um, Bade Penya Bade, who's was from Germany, Germany originally, hmm. um, and then there was another one. Um, which one? Where was it? It was uh, Dan Davis, who's also American. You did a. Um, I'm not sure if you remember that story. It was like a, a cartoony style, I guess you can call it. Yes. It, it was sort of, I believe the, the attempt was to try to do something Bruce Tim-like. Yeah. Like what he sort of did with the Batman animated series. And I think that's why that's why Dan Davis was, was doing that one. Yeah, no, that was a fun, that was a fun story, that one. Um, I've, only ever seen, I've only ever seen the Swedish version of it because it hasn't been right. published in English. But um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was nice. Uh, so, is there any stories from the team Phantom in that kind of stand out? You know, twenty years later. <laughs> Again, details are fuzzy, uh, but I do remember enjoying uh, writing the Spear of Destiny story. Oh uh, yeah, that was that was one I was very excited about to, to, to tell sort of a multi-part story. Um, and I think, I, and I do remember that having to be a, a kind of a pitch to them, like, "Hey, can I? Can I?" not just do a, a one-off. Can I, you know, have something that spans a few issues? And, uh, and there was a little bit, I think there was a little bit of back and forth on their end about it. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, it went through. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember that story. I remember, um, I remember reading the story and, and enjoying it. Um, for myself, the ones I enjoyed, there was um, uh, one that we haven't talked about yet is uh, The Invisible Phantom. Uh, for those, if you're on listening to it on audio, we will be showing screenshots and stuff on the YouTube channel. Um, so this is the Invisible Phantom, where you've got a FBI agent uh, does a, a transfer to the Jungle Patrol, and then he tries to find the Phantom. It was it was a really cool, um, what detective style story, um, and it was just yeah. So do you remember that story? If I recall correctly, it's. He, he doesn't find the evidence, right? Yeah, he kind of finds some stuff and then he kind of like gives up. He gets like close and then towards the end of it, he's just like, ah, there's no phantom. And then the phantom's in the yeah. background laughing, you know, having a laugh and stuff like that. So Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I do remember that. that. That one was fun to write because I, I just love the idea that, again, trying to impose something real onto the phantom like the idea that if this if this guy really existed right there'd be those who'd wanted to prove that his existence or debunk his existence right there's there's no you know the idea of, of a man who cannot die you know like 
you know, we, the, the, the fans and the audience know, oh, it's a tradition that's passed down, but, but, but everyone else, but the legend, the lore is that it's the same guy and that he's immortal. And that, you know, and so like, what better fun to have than, than put an investigator who's trying to figure out, is it true or not? And then all, you know, come up empty handed, you know, yeah, getting yeah, as yeah. close as he possibly could. It's like right there, but he doesn't, he doesn't succeed. That was just, that was just a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, so towards the end, like he 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 goes and then he finds Garan, who was obviously a setup, and then he goes, right. "Oh, you're not the Phantom," and then Garan laughs right. his head off, going, "Oh, yeah, no, I'm not the Phantom," and stuff like that. Yeah. So it had that humorous element towards the end, and you see the Phantom and Garan having a bit of a chuckle and stuff like that as well. But then there's that, yeah. What I liked about it, I remember reading it um, as a, a younger person, um, it would have been in my 20s, I believe it would have been, is that it was kind of, the story was kind of from someone else's point of view. So in, a lot of the time when we're reading a Phantom comic, we're into, we're kind of looking and reading through it, the Phantom's eyes. This was kind of looking at it through Agent Wise's eyes. It was just, um, it was just, it was really clever. That, that's Yeah, that is the thing that like, I, you know, I remember any time I would sit down to write a phantom story, like the question was, whose point of view do you want to tell the story through? Do you want to tell it through? It's tricky. Like it's something that I've learned working in television where, you know, from a week to week basis, a character goes on an emotional journey where they start in one place and they end in another and they evolve, they grow, they change. In comics, sometimes you get that. And sometimes you kind of just, you know, certain characters. And I think the phantom is someone who, because of the nature of how do you sustain the individual for extended periods of time, you're forced to sort of tell stories that kind of reset, yeah. right? So that things go back to a version of status quo rather than having this, this deep involved continuity, like you might find in a, in a Marvel or a DC or whatever. Um, but you get a lot, a lot of longevity out of that. You get, you know, decades worth of stories because, it's about it's about the story you're you're telling specifically. So, at some point, you know, creatively, you want to find a different way in. You want to find a road that's not just through the Phantom's point of view. You might want to do it through Diana's point of view. You might want to do it through the you know Kid or Eloise's point of view. And sometimes you do it through the outsider. And and that that one was was definitely designed to be let's let's do an outside perspective on it because you 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 get to then see the character in a different light without them having to grow or change or become something else. They still get to be that character and you, and, and this outsider's point of view becomes the audience's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, you, ne I you never know if yeah. it's going to be someone's first comic ever, right? Like let's say they've yeah. never read the fandom. They picked up that one. Then it's like, Oh crap, there's a mystery around this character. I want to know more about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, um, there's another story, the psychopath, which was uh, written by Leonard Moberg where it's very similar. It's like he's a bad guy who's in a mental institution and he's retelling the story of how he got captured. And so throughout the whole story, you, you hardly see the Phantom because he's always in the shadows and, and, and stuff like that. And it adds to the mythos of the fact that the Phantom is supposed to be, you know, mysterious. He's not, you know, your friendly Spider-Man, you know, friendly neighborhood right. Spider-Man who everyone knows and, and stuff like that. The Phantom right. is a myth. So yeah, it really adds to, really added to that myth in my opinion. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. It also um, it got voted as the best story in I think it was Norway or Sweden. I don't even uh, Norway in two thousand one. 
Sweet. <laughs> that was news to me. Uh, I've never that? been voted number one in anything. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to go back in time and tell my younger self. <laughs> I was, so cool. Yeah. I remember I remember in the Australian edition that they didn't have a voting system back then, but it did get a lot of um a lot of popularity and a lot of um uh, good yeah. comments as well. So nice. Uh, All right. Thank you, Australia. And thank you, Norway. You guys are awesome. Of- one of the other um, Team Phantom and stories I wanted to talk about is this one. Uh, the first assignment, which was through issue 1349, where you actually did a story with Kitten Heloise in the future as um, oh, yeah. as the Phantom. Uh, where this one here, they're, they're riding on motorbikes uh, yeah. instead of horses. Uh, yeah. And then there's a scene, where was it? Uh, where the Phantom has a pet tiger. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you remember that story? I do. I remember. I remember. Well, maybe not all the details, but I do remember writing about the kids as, as grown-ups. Um, again, one of my favorite things about the Phantom is that notion of mantle passed from generation to generation, from from you know father to well, in this case, you know, usually father to son, but because there are two, it's like. Yeah what would it be like if the duty was shared equally? If, the, you know, if, if both Kit and Eloise had to sort of step into the role and be the phantom, um, and I get it, it does fight a little bit of the, you know, or, or present a little confusion when it comes to like, well, if someone saw, you know, the phantom and thought it was a man and sees, you know, <laughs> Eloise's figure is clearly not male. How is that going to, you know, what is that? Again, I, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just a fun idea. And it's something that I think, I don't think the phantom Again, this is my, my interpretation of the character as a father, uh, as father of two children, even though I, I, I mean, I wrote that pretty much. What year to come out again? Um, I believe it. Well, let me just double check. I won't guess. Uh, yeah. So it came out in. All right. So we'll go through. So in Australia, it came out in 2003, which was issue okay. 1349 yeah. and issue okay. 4203 for Norway, Sweden. And Finland. Yeah, so that that was that was at least a year before I, I even became a father. So so, but at least I was thinking about it, <laughs> and 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 just thinking about that notion of if you have this legacy that you have to hand down, it's not right to have to choose. It's not right to have to say one is going to be and the other is not. And so I just thought, well, it'll be really fun to tell a story with the two of them together you know that they that they had inherited this mantle uh equally and uh i mean i think there had there had been female phantom stories up before that i don't think that i broke any ground on that level yes that's um, correct yeah so so it was just sort of keeping keeping with that tradition it's like well then then you know just kind of cool if you sort of update it and you know picture them as grown-ups and and yeah they're, they're not riding horses they're riding motorbikes like it's just you know yeah, yeah. quite Phantom 2040, but you know, <laughs> certainly, you know. So towards so towards the end, the way you ended it was really clever as well. So it was kind of like a vision from Old Man Moz, and then he had mm-hmm. the story ended with Heloise injured. Um, and then, you know, then Old Man Moz just walks off in the distance and it's just like, you know, like, was it a vision? Was it actually gonna happen, or was it did he just right. have bad pizza for dinner and um, have a nightmare or something. Yeah. So I thought that was quite clever how you did that as well. 
Yeah, I mean, if you know, if, if ever I'd gotten to revisit that story, I, I don't, I wouldn't have made it just a dream. I would have had to be more of a premonition because there's nothing worse than oh, it was all just a dream stories. Like, you know, you want to pay it off. You want to, you want to have yeah. it actually really mean something. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Dan, one of the podcasters, he hates. He's a English teacher, and he hates that. He is. Well, I think his words is like a cop out or something like that. So yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No. Um, so then we'll then we'll say then, then tell him that I was setting up for a future story, so he doesn't hate me. Yeah. <laughs> Will do. Uh, so what's actually interesting is in the last couple of years, there's actually been a um, a a two tone timeline in a sense where. There's been a couple of stories every year where Kit and Heloise do actually take over as the Phantom and stuff like that. So there's kind of like a, oh, that's cool. a dual timeline. So uh, you kind of, with this story, you um, kind of beat them to it in a, in a sense. Wow. All right. It's ahead of the curve once. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So there, there were a couple of stories that I really enjoyed if you team Phantom. And, um, and then... Um, and then it seemed like you, you you took you got the Moonstone gig. How how did that happen? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it. I was trying to remember how I met um, Joe Gentile, who's the the publisher of Moonstone. It, it must have been it had to be a con at Comic Con. I, I can't remember how we might have connected otherwise, um, but it probably was Comic Con, and maybe it was. I mean, I guess maybe either. I had heard that they got the license and because I'd written for Egmont, I reached out or maybe he had, re- I, I, yeah, you know, what? I honestly don't remember how we met up, but, but I do remember that, um, you know, he was, he was, he was great to work with and, uh, you know, really gave me a lot of leeway as, as much as King features would allow. Um, yeah. they, they definitely had a heavier hand with, with him than, than they did with, uh, with Egmont. Um, I think partly because they are, you know, they were a small press. They were, uh, you know, again, local relative to, you know, in the U S versus, you know, overseas. Um, and, and maybe didn't have as much of a track record, but, um, what was cool is that, you know, he, the, the initial impulse from them was let's do higher end books. Let's not just do, you know, um, pamphlet style monthlies. Let's do, you know, prestige format or as close to prestige format um as they could afford um you know one shots 48 pages rather than 22 pages um and so it was it was good to sort of you know get my feet wet on on those a little bit have you know these nicer format books which obviously the intent was well if we do you know if we do two or three of them we've got enough material to collect into a trade paperback so there's you know second second use of that um and then eventually they decided to do a monthly, which was cool too. But, um, but yeah, no, I really, I, I loved uh, working on those. It was, uh, was that Fernando Blanco, I believe, was the artist for two of them. And then yes. um, Lou Mana was the third. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed uh, The Ghost Killer and the Sing Web. Um, I'll just, just give me two seconds. What I want to do is yeah. while we talk, I'm actually going to try and share it on our screen. So, where are we? Let's see if I can get this figured out. All right, there we go. Um, oh yeah, I remember that. So yeah, so um, I just this was one that I that I really enjoyed was just um, I really like the artwork. I like the style, um, and 
and it was really like felt modern as well. Like it actually felt like a part of you know real life Africa. You know, there was real issues and uh, really like the style. Um, I like the humor. Like this bit here was a little bit humorous and. <laughs> Um, and then you had the femme fatale as well. She was quite uh, a deadly. Were you planning on bringing her back? Um, no, I think it was all you know, kind of meant to be a one-off. I, 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 yeah, I didn't, I didn't revisit those first three stories when I was getting into the into the monthly. Um, yeah. I imagine if I had we done more, then then I'm sure at some point I might have. Um, but at that time, there was never there was no direct plan to say, hey, let's let's revisit some of the you know, the characters or the subplots from from uh the prestige books yeah what i liked about the way you portrayed um diana was that she was actually like she was like a hero in her own sense she wasn't a damsel in distress she was someone who you know um you know you know was able to hold her you know against herself and you know she's kind of saved the day she you know just wasn't you know, a, a damsel in distress, which, which I think is good because I think a lot of times people tend to uh, portray Diana in the wrong way. I don't know. I mean, she's yeah, she's I mean, she's his equal, right? Like maybe maybe not yeah. costumed wise, but but as his wife, she, she, you know, she is to the Phantom what Lois is to to, to Clark Kent. You know what I mean? Like that. There to me, there was never any sense that she is. The, the the woman behind the man, she's the woman next to the man. Yeah, and 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 uh, I loved having her, you know, front and center whenever I when whenever I could. Um, yeah. It just just gives a different flavor because you know it's like it's something that I I, I did a three issue miniseries for DC Comics called Legend of the Hawkman, which was you know about Hawkman. It was it was a, a, a sort of out of continuity story, of, but but it was my attempt to do a Hawkman year one. Right. Okay, and it was, yeah. and, and, and the funny thing about it was it sort of paralleled what my wife and I were going through in the year one of our relationship, which was um, in the, in the, in the Hawkman story, they, they've, they've come from Thanagar to earth and they're settling and they're having their life there. Um, and, you know, one person's homesick, one person is, is happy to be there. And it's just, they're having two very different experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, my wife and I had just moved from New York to Los Angeles and we just, we'd been married for only, you know, for less than a year. Oh, so wow. it was, it, it was, I loved writing. I love writing married characters because even though they're in, they share an experience, they don't always experience things the same way. And I feel like that's, that's kind of the, the, the fun of the Phantom and Diana is that they both, they're sharing this experience of him being the Phantom and her doing her stuff. But when, if they end up in a story together, you know, they have a different point of view on what, what they're going through, even though their goals may be the same, the way they, you know, and the way they do things and how, and how they think of things are, are unique to each of them. So you, you just, it's just like, you know, it's chocolate and peanut butter. It's this great combination. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that 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 you know, the, the the whole is greater than some of its parts, and you get a great story out of it. Yeah, well, in this one, Diana actually punches out, knocks out two people. Yeah. Uh, she knocks out the femme fatale, and then um, the arms dealer in the UN as well. So um, badass. Yeah, yeah, and that's why she should be portrayed. Um, so yeah, no, it was it was really enjoyable. And then the other one was. Um, the other one, the sing web. Now, was that was that an attempt to kind of replicate what the movie kind of should have been, or 
Probably. I, I'm, I'm sure I was I was far more uh, influenced by by the movie than than I should have been. Um, <laughs> you know, I, again, and that was my my first real attempt to sort of dig into the the, the Singh Brotherhood and and uh, you know play with the classic phantom villains. Yeah. Um, it was just yeah, that, right. Shaolin yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then um, so then you've got the you got you got the Indiana Jones style at the start yeah. of the movie as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, then you've got the artifact. Obviously, she's yeah. probably a little bit more attractive than James Remar. No, no offense, James. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, you got the, you yeah. got the web. So obviously, in the movie, they instead of the circles, they had the the web tattoo and the symbol, right. which was what's on here as well. Um, yeah, it, it definitely it definitely drew off that. Yeah, but uh, this this was fun. Um, I remember when it first came out, everyone was like, "Oh, look, the Phantoms were riding a black horse. What's going on?" And then you kind of realize, well, actually, hang on, no, it's the nineteenth or the twentieth Phantom, and not right. not not Hero, who was the 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 right. um yeah the white one. So yeah. it was just um yeah this was a this was a fun story as well. So you got the um. There's so many nods in in watch in rereading it now. There's so many nods to the movie, like uh, you've got the when Billy Zane punches him into the tree and he gets knocked out mm-hmm. at the start. Um, yeah, it was. I really, I actually really enjoyed this story as well. I also liked um, the Jungle Patrol. You really gave the Jungle Patrol uh, center stage as well, right? Well, it's funny. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and I always like when you know, um, you know, Brigadier. Oh, I mean, I started as 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 a Tom Baker fan when I was a kid, but like you know, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart and and you Unit and all that. Like it just to me, that's Jungle Patrol, right? Like they're they're, yeah. they're that to the, what, what what those guys were to the Doctor. This is what they are to the Phantom. Yeah, there's a, a good reference, uh, a little bit of a nod to the Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a blatant ripoff. <laughs> but it, <laughs> full, full disclosure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just I, I really uh, this was a fun story. Um, there was this bit here where you get the the lady um, trying to get protected. <laughs> God, yeah, wow, I, I haven't I haven't seen this in so long. It's it's, it's cool to see it again. Um, yeah, no, it was just uh, um, yeah, no, it was it was really enjoyable. These were. Uh, out of the, I think there was the five in the original series. These two of the graphic novels, these two were the ones that um, uh, that I really enjoyed and really spoke to me. And I thought, wow, Moonstone's onto a winner here. Um, yeah, they, 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 they were, you know, I know, I, know, um, I think it was Mike Bullock picked up uh, after yeah. I was done. Um, you know, it's like they, they, it's tough for a small publisher. Like they, yeah. they have a hard time, you know, money is not, they don't have the money to attract big talent, but, but they've got, but they get good people. They get people who are really passionate about the characters. And I know, I remember when, when Mike took over and he was a big fan too. So it's like, you know, it's like, you know, your, your, your property is in good hands with the people that yeah. you hire that are willing to do it because they love it so much. It doesn't, it's not about the money. Um, 
It is, but it's not the driving force, you know, because we all it's know. It's not. <laughs> yeah, well, it's sure, not sure. I mean, look, they need the money so they can make more books. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's circle of life, right? <laughs> yes, yes. You've got to pay the bills, uh, pay the artists, the writers, and, and everything like that as well. Uh, and then you did a couple of the... Um, now, this is where I think you really hit your... Like, they, these stories to this day are, like, still some of my all-time favourite stories. Um was the uh, the Stones of Blood. Um, mm. Now, there was one... I'm going to try and share this again. So this this was at the start of when it became the regular series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you remember this story. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. With, with my buddy Pat Quinn, yeah. And Cassidy, John Cassidy did that cover, yep. Oh, and that's the John Cassidy that um, introduced you to... Oh, yep. Oh wow! Yep. It, all, it all came full circle in that. Yeah. Um, the artwork's amazing. Yeah, uh, no, Pat, 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 and I've we we we've, we've been collaborators for about nineteen years now. We we did we we're we're currently doing a book that's on comicsology called Cryptopia. Okay. Um, it's about a uh, this woman who is a cryptozoologist who basically you know travels the world trying to prove the existence of these, these hidden species and, and is sort of, you know, ridiculed and mocked for, for her beliefs, but ends up on an island. You know, she, she and her, her team end up on an island that is full of these hidden species and cryptids. And, and, uh, and it's just this, it's this big adventure story um, with a, with a sci-fi twist at the end where we're five issues have been published right now. It, it, we started it in 2002 Oh wow! Yeah, um, I'm slow, Um, but 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 we finally ramped up. We got two issues out onto Comicsology last year, four and five, uh, and we've got you know issue six. I I still have to do the script for, but um, we hope to have those all done by the end of next year, uh, and then maybe collect them all. But um, but you know, Pat, Pat, and you know, this was in you know almost 20 years ago he did this. Um, I've just always liked his art. He's he's such a good. he really gets superheroes and knows how to sort of move his camera and tell a dynamic story. Um, and so when, so because we had worked together on Cryptopia, when, when um, you know, Joe Gentile was saying that, Hey, I think we're going to do a monthly. I was like this, let's have this guy, you know, if not all of them definitely have this guy do the, you know, uh, the first couple because he's fantastic. And, yeah. and his take on the Phantom was I, one of my favorites. Yeah. I really like these panels here. So, yeah. um, like, for instance, you've got, um, so for audio listeners, you've got Diana being shot at the end of uh, issue one. And then there's like a, um, uh, the backdrop, you see her shadow, which is actually falling and it's, and then you see her arms in the air and all that. It's just very dynamic. And then you've got uh, Kit Heloise and the Phantom just in, in anger and anguish as they, uh, and then Nawaga as well. Um, and then, you know, not only do you have that, you know, you've kind of got that, and then you're thinking, oh, great, you know, wow, where are they going with this? And you've got the Phantom going through Hero in the middle of uh, Morristown. And then I remember I remember reading it, and this is when we got into Australia. Uh, this happened, where the, the, the palace or the presidential palace where Diana was giving the speech just blows up, and there's a full page of just the place just blown up in smithereens and i remember um on the phantom forum at that stage it went off just everyone was like he can't do really? that and everyone's like yes he can this is awesome what's he got to do and oh uh, wow the, all the all the friends <laughs> were just um yeah 
you know, from going, that's it, Diana's dead. And then other people were trying to marry off uh, the phantom to the next person already. And, um, <laughs> so you had this huge range of, um, of just diverse con- conversations from the fans as they were trying to um, just pick apart and figure out what was going on. Um, that's awesome. Wow, I did, I, did, I did not know that. That made such a stir. <laughs> yeah, it did. It was... Um, uh, it made it. It was very. It was a very successful. The Stones of Blood Part One and Part Two was a, was a, was an amazing um, introduction to the monthly comic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I again, like we were saying before, Diana's you know a hero in her own right, and it's like I, I I wanted to I wanted to see what would happen to the Phantom if it looked like he might lose her. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, yes, you get the you get the fun shock value of oh my god, she's been shot, the place has been blown up. Like, but it's it's it was really like, how is he reacting? How does he react to that? Mm. You know, yeah, um, because it, you know, uh, you know, I, I know when you know, like, I remember when I, my uh, oldest had to go in an operation. You know, the, the fears, you know, because yeah. you can't control, you, you know, you, you're yeah. not there to protect her and it's out of your hands and stuff like that. I can only imagine yeah. what it would be like to think you've lost your wife or, or something like that. Just the emotions will be all over the place. Yeah, right. Because it's like, you know, the I mean, again, the Phantom's presented a certain way in, like, the strips, in the old books. Like, like again, I... I don't know if the, if if any of those stories again. This is my ignorance, so forgive me, and please don't hate me if I'm wrong. Um, really, you know, kind of dug into that aspect of the character, the idea of the husband, you know, who, you know, part of what he does all this for, yes, is to protect Bengala, to protect the world, but it's about the people he loves, yeah. right, first and foremost. Um, so yeah, that, that's what we that's what we were trying to do with that story. Yeah, that it's funny you say that. Um... Oh, probably 2013 to 2016, there was in the newspaper stories, uh, Tony D. Paul wrote a, it went on for about two, three years. Uh, it was about five stories, but together in a continuous story where he actually believed Diana was, was dead. Um, oh, wow, that's cool. And, and it was just like to this day, it's probably. In, in my opinion, you know, one of the better newspaper stories that Tony DePaul has ever written because it's just, awesome. you know, like, obviously he had a lot more time and a lot more space to explore that anguish and stuff like that than what, you know, yeah. you did. You had 22 pages. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, you know, you, you, you learn more about the character in, in an instance or in a circumstance like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was, that was a fun two-parter. Yeah. Now the other one that I really enjoyed, um, and I really thought the artwork went well with it was the Curse of the Phantom, mm-hmm. um, which was Nick Darrington. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to try. Who I love to see, I love to see that he's his his career has blown up as much as it has with DC in the past couple of years. I mean, he's I've always liked his style. I've always thought his style was fantastic, and it's and it's it's only grown since we we did those that two parter. Um, He's just one of the best in the biz, no, without question. Yeah, it's 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 um it's not as cartoony, or if you could say it, as some of the others. But what I really liked in here is, you know, like we all know the legacy, and it's kudos to you for knowing 
the legacy of the Phantom as much like with the Wasaka tribe and all that is that mm-hmm. we kind of learn about them and how they how they feel, you know, having the stigma and and stuff like that. So it was um it was really enjoyable kind of getting to know about this tribe that basically has suffered in a sense because of the Phantom. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that it's funny. It's become more common in, in our discourse in recent years, the notion of appropriation, but this was a story of appropriation. Like I didn't realize it at the time as I was writing it, but in, in, in thinking back on it, it's, it's the idea that, you know, he wears the guise of of someone that you know of, of their god, right? Like yeah, yeah. of and, and and that you know you've got the groups that are trying to take their you know their their not narcotics isn't the right word, but their their you know their herbs and the, and the things that they use tribally and turn it into something that they can profit off of. Like it's just there's there's a lot of that going on. Um, maybe it's a little bit of a statement on colonialization, you know. Like I, again, whether I intended that or not, but. Um, I just like the idea of something that belonged to someone else yeah. is, is, is being used by, by our hero and that. Well, he stole it. That, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say it. You said it, not me. Um, but, uh, but it was, and, and, and now, you know, he has to face the consequences of that. Like at some point it comes back to bite you. Right. Yeah. And then I liked how they explored the different uh, throughout the generations. So you had like the in feudal Japan, and then you had um, uh, where was it? So this was the feudal Japan. Um, Then you have a princess Catherine with the temp phantom, Um, and you know there was a couple of others. And I think there was was the other one Teddy Rosenfeld, I believe it was. Uh, Yeah, Teddy Rosenfeld in the nineties and stuff like that. So you've got these brushes with, with, uh, oh, yeah, the 1890s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Before he ever became president. Um, yeah, again, I, I will freely admit that this, this storyline is something that I, I kind of stole from myself. Um, <laughs> again, I, talk about, I love history stuff and I love doing those kinds of like seeing the character through the lens of different historical periods. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I did in, in, uh, a four issue uh, X-Men miniseries about the Hellfire Club where I basically told the origin of, of, of the, the Hellfire Club through the lineage of Sebastian Shaw and, you know, getting to sort of see historical versions of certain kinds of characters like, you know, the, the, you know, spy era, uh, Victorian era Union Jack or, um, col- you know, col- a colonial Captain America type, um, Salem witch trials went back to that. So I, I, I stole a little bit of that kind of let's play with a timeline and, and see the phantom through the, you know, through generations story. Um, and, you know, and, and again, Nick's art was perfect for it. Um, yeah, it was, it, it did, a, it did a great job uh, like on that last panel. Um, you know, the, the phantoms riding through the, the um, jungle and then you see the lightning and then there's the bad guy just behind me and yeah. it's dark again and stuff like that. Um, it's, yeah, I'm not sure if you, if you put that in the script or not, but um, it, it came to a great effect. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that I put something that then Nick made infinitely better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really confident. Yeah. Um, and that was, and, and in that story, again, you've got, 
you've got Diana who gets captured, but she does up a, a great fight to the uh, Wesaka demon dude and and takes yeah. him on and uh, and stuff like that, and it, you know shows that you know she was worthy to be alongside the Phantom and stuff. So yeah, it was uh, it was an enjoyable story that one. Thank you. That that one's probably my favourite, just because I love. I th- you know I've ne- it was like the first time I'd ever seen a story again from like the point of view from the Wasaka tribe and how they've kind of suffered from the humi- humiliation of of being defeated back in the you know fifteen thirties or the fifteen forties and then losing the band or as their slaves and all that and it's kind of like right. well what happened to them. Um, right, and that's that's exactly kind of where it came from. Like again, I will I will freely admit my knowledge of phantom lore is limited, and so anytime I found something that um, I felt like oh this this could be something I could sort of build upon or or spin into something unexpected, um, and then I, and I remember reading about the tribes and that and that one the, the, the Wasaka specifically was like oh this there's an untold tale here. Let's see how we can, how, how do we tell it and how do we then make it into something, you know, big and epic that has, that has weight and meaning. Um, mm. And, and I, I will say, I, I think probably of all the, the phantom stories I wrote, that two-parter was probably the most thought through. I'm not saying the others weren't thought through, but there was, there was a lot of like, okay, there's a lot of moving parts to this that I, yeah. that I was trying to accomplish. You know, the other ones had, I think we're a lot cleaner and simpler in their approach. This one, I was like, I want this to be layered and yep. um, I'm probably not as layered as, as the, the legacy book. Um, but mm. like this, this definitely was like an attempt. This, this is where my, my brain kind of got to the, Hey, let's do something super layered with, you know, where we're telling multiple stories at once within one very small two part story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, and obviously, you know, plans change and, you know, and stuff like that, and we'll get into that in a second. But had you thought, or had you planned follow-on stories, or or, or anything like that regarding um, the Curse of the Phantom? Um, no, I, I didn't. I think I, I I kind of accomplished what I set out to do. Um, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have had I continued. You know, yeah. I'm I'm sure it's again. <laughs> Like I said, I stole from myself in, in other books. Uh, I'm sure I would have found a way to steal from myself again. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, no, there was there was no there was no like okay, then this is going to lead to that. It was like let's let's yeah. let's do this, let's wrap this up, let's move on to something else. Mm. Well, you moved on to the Avery, the Avery, oh, I can't even Aviatrix, the, yeah, the Aviatrix, yeah. uh, which was yeah. a fun story. It um, followed on with uh, Sala and. And the uh, possibility that the phantom um, sired uh, her daughter—that uh, was—that right. uh, was a fun story. I really enjoyed that one as well. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, again, another Pat Quinn uh, extravaganza. Yes. Which again, we got we do wing suits. I think in that one, that one had the wing yes. suits. Yes, that was fun. Had, yeah, the big, the uh, the beautiful covers from. Um, uh, uh, um, can't remember his name. Uh, Doug Doug Calaba. Yes, yes, Doug was fantastic. His paintings were beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, again, it was it was I was dipping my toe into classic Phantom characters, the Sky Band, and I was like, well, how do I? 
what's my spin on it? You know, what's, what's something that feels of today um, that we haven't seen. Yeah. Um, the thing that, that really, and with your stories and also with Mark, but also with Moonstone in general was just the fact that you borrowed. Well, that's probably not, you were, it was like a continuation of the Lee Fork stories. It's not like you're sending out like Dynamite did and let's just blow everything up and let's just, you know, ignore all the law and just do what we want to do. It's like, well, hang on, no, this is the Phantom. This is what's come before. Let's add to it. Let's follow on. We've got the, you know, you've got, um, you know, the, av- the Aviatrix, which is a follow-on from the Cyban, which everyone loves. It's in the movie. It's in, you know, there's been many stories. You've got... Um, the, the curse of the phantom which is following on from the phantom's legacy story and and the legacy book that you also did as well it just there was a great respect for the phantom i feel in 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 in, in everything moonstone did yeah no i mean they were they're you know, big fans of the character and and you know wanted to do, do it justice and and honestly it's like this is i think it, it growing up as a marvel dc comic reader where continuity is, you know, is your history. Yeah. And you, you don't want to be slave to it. You, you know, you can't paint yourself into corners and say, well, then it can't be this, it can't be that. But you can, every, every story I wrote was always an attempt to extrapolate what came before. Mm-hmm. And, and it may not be, you know, people may not like it. I can't control what people like or don't like, but I can say there is a logic to this. There is a possibility that this, could come from that right and you know the aviatrix believing that sala you know knowing sala's her mother and thinking oh the, the phantom doesn't mean it's true yeah, right? yeah yeah which i think is is sort of the the more tragic version of that story where it's like well she's deluded herself into believing that this is her father because she's someone who clearly is looking for a father figure in her life who 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 didn't have that growing up and and is this why she ended up on this path like you know these are these are questions you ask yourself when when you when you dig into that um but again being respectful to the lore and the history and just saying look i'm not going to ignore it but i'm also not going to i'm not going to let your expectations limit what we can do yeah i'm going to try and i'm going to try and meet and hopefully exceed your expectations by presenting something you didn't think you didn't, you know, you didn't think, oh, this is this is where it's going to go, you know, by surprising you. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm. In this well, case, I, I I really enjoyed that story too. I thought that was fun. So would that? So if you know, it's uh, looking back, and it's probably like choosing your favorite child. Uh, do you have a favorite story, or do you have a favorite moment from Moonstone, or even Team Phantom? Um. No. I, I, as again, as having two children, I love them both equally. Uh, <laughs> so having worked with two publishers, I love them both equally. Um, there are things that I, that I, that I love about all those things um, that make up the, the, the totality of my experience on the books. Um, so I, I, I I think the, 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 I will give Curse of the Phantom the, the, the kudos for being the, you know, a goal that I set out to achieve and, and that, in, you know, again, 
regardless of audience reaction in my mind when at the end of the day when that when that all came together i was like oh wow i i i I did what i wanted to do i did what i what i set out to do um and so that i think was very satisfying i think um probably the most satisfying experience but all of them were were good experiences and for different reasons spoken like a true father i love you all love all the kids i love all the stories equally um <laughs> no um no awesome so what and i'm not sure whether you can share this or not but could you tell us why you decided to step away from moonstone was it the natural because i think you worked into career uh into film and tv after them was it just kind of like you wanted to push yourself to the the next level did you get you know what happened there it was it was it was a little bit of of time and money you know again the the independent publishing didn't pay a lot it couldn't pay a lot um and and i was so time spent working on things that you know weren't going to again at the around that point i did have at least one child and and a second one possibly on the way so it was like comics as as a career was a struggle and the more time I devoted to to that, the less chance I was going to have of making the transition to to a, a potentially more lucrative career, which which you know honestly, film and television is. So um, I, I think at the time I felt like I had to choose. Um, so I opted to to pursue the, the the path of greater resistance but greater reward. Yeah. Um, uh, not with some regret. You know, I, I definitely, uh, I miss writing the Phantom. Um, you know, it's a character that I, I, again, didn't grow up loving, but I grew to love and <clears throat> had worked with some really great talents and, and would have loved to have done so again. You know, um, I also think after writing Legacy, I didn't know if I had anything to say. Okay. Um, you know, that was, that was also a big project, which, you know, <clears throat> uh, I'm glad to have worked with Pat on that. Um, did we succeed at what we tried to do? I don't know, um, but it was definitely ambitious. That was that was yeah. that was definitely a big a big swing. Um, I don't know what the reception to it was, but uh, it, was it was definitely to hard. to yeah. Hard to be fair, it was probably a little bit mixed. Yeah. Um, I think it was probably, I'm just going to bring this up again for the video audience. Um, I think, it, like for me, reading in the running, writing sense, you know, in that version of, was a little bit hard to read. Um, mm. But I also think it's probably the first time Phantom fans had actually ever seen something like this, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the art style, uh, because this is like, you you know, this is Pat Quinn. It's totally different yeah. than what what he had done before. Yeah, it's yeah. an amazing. Um, uh, I look, I look back at this now, and I'm just going, "Wow, this is, you know, this is amazing." But when I got it, I don't think I probably appreciated it as much mm. as I do in looking at it now, and you know, and in the story because it's a um, like, I guess you're probably better off to describe it for those who have never read it what what was your vision with legacy and what and i just wanted to tell the origin you know as as if like it is something that is memoir 
you know? Mm. Um, I forget. I, I know something inspired me to want to do this and I can't, you know, it's been so long. I can't remember what it was, what the impetus was. Um, it was also an attempt to write prose uh, in a style that I'd never written in before. Um, it just felt like, It's like, it, it, I think part of the inspiration was like, if let's say the Phantom had, you know, decide, like uh, in, in deciding on the journey of his life, deciding to chronicle it for himself and for yeah. future generations so that they would understand why they do this. Why is this something that we as a family have chosen to be our legacy? Hmm. Um and the Phantom Again. does have the Chronicles as well. So it's it's almost like like in looking at it now and in looking at it as, probably as an older, wiser Phantom fan, if there's such a thing, it's kind of like you're looking at it and it's like this is what the Chronicles are, are, are like. This is what they right. would be like. There's, you know, um, and, you know, you, you can picture yourself as a 16, 17-year-old Phantom son who's, you know, a going to become the phantom you know the story and you're just devouring these stories and um and, and stuff like that it's um I, in looking at you know yeah it's it's it was a it was a big um it was a big risk or a big step from uh moonstone yeah i mean rather than doing the kind of stories where it's like oh we we, we sit you know we, we you bookend it with let's open the chronicle and let's look at a story of the phantom and see it play out it, it was more of a, here's the book. Yeah. Here's the actual chronicle of the Phantom. And you understand, you know, that you're reading the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So does this one hold a special place? It does. That was, that was, that was a lot of hard work for me. Uh, <laughs> that's seeing it again, I, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but, um, that is exactly what we set out to do. I guess, well, I guess we kind of, again, varying degrees of success and and you can sort of see the uh in, in those pages you just scroll through you can sort of see the oh here's curse of the phantom played yeah. out <clears throat> right so this it took some of my own continuity and and uh and and how maybe very self-servingly <laughs> tried to cement <laughs> it <laughs> i'm sorry i just want to be remembered don't forget me i'm in the chronicles <laughs> well, you're also on a podcast <clears throat> now as well <laughs> right right um, no, live forever on the internet. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was awesome. Um, so once you've finished from Moonstone, now I want to touch upon a little bit of your career in film and TV for a few reasons because uh, I got a question where I want to end us off. And um, so uh, you, you went off to Warehouse Thirteen, which is what you said, which ran for five seasons, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Now. I remember I started watching Warehouse 13. It would have been season two, three, so kind of halfway mm -hmm. in between. And then I went yeah. back and started from the beginning. Um, there was a lot of fandom influences in there, whether it was accidental or on purpose or whether it was already there. But um, uh, was that a lot of fun? Oh, it was a great job. I mean, you know, it, it, it took my, my writing partner, Derek Hughes, and I uh, – about eight years to break into television. So um, part of our, our, our journey was um, every year we'd submit 
sample scripts to the various studio um, writing programs. And every year we kept getting rejected, um, which is very frustrating. Uh, we'd go out for staffing meetings, which happens, you know, usually in spring and summer for the shows that will then premiere in the fall. A couple of times we got close. We got, you know, we actually got staffing meetings, still didn't get the job. Um, and after a few years of that, this is 2008. At this point, I've got two kids. Um, I don't have a plan B. And uh, my wife, who, you know, who was thankfully you know, had the steady job and was sort of, you know, while I was working on various projects here and there, sort of, you know, she was the, the stability. She, you know, the, the understanding was you've got five years to, to pull this off. <laughs> I was on year eight. So oh, wow. I don't, I, I, I already, too much to her credit and, and to her, I'm so grateful to her for that, um, that it just gave me those extra few years because, and I'll never forget, I was telling Derek, this was the summer of 2008. Where you know we're we're going for more of these meetings, general meetings, and I'm just saying to him, I'm like, listen, man, if we don't get into the writing program this year, I got to figure something else out. I don't know what it's going to be, so we got to figure. I got you know, it's either got to happen or I'm 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 screwed. Um, and then that that was like right before we had a meeting with um, at NBC Universal, where we met with an executive, uh, Erica Kinnear, who read a, a sample script we'd written. Um, based on the TV show, Rescue Me. And she loved it and was like, look, NBC's got a writing program. I don't know if you're aware of it. I think you guys should submit to it. So I'm like, all right, we'll submit. We'll get rejected again, whatever. It's fine. Well, this year, that was the one that we got into. And, wow. and ironically, it was the first one we got into. We then got into the, we were accepted to the CBS one and the Warner Brothers one for the first time ever. Um, but uh, we'd already decided to go with the NBC program. And... Um, the 10 week program, five weeks into it, we had a meeting with uh, an executive at Universal named Nora O'Brien, um, who, who just, she was our, our, our mentor um, in the program. She was like, I think you guys would be great for the show, Warehouse 13. I'm going to recommend you. We had a meeting on Warehouse 13 with the executives. They recommended us to the showrunners. Five weeks into the program, we got staffed on Warehouse 13. So, so didn't have to come up with a plan B finally got the foot in the door and and it was it was one of you hear the horror stories about what it's like to work in a television writer's room you're, you know you got terrible bosses you're up till you're stuck there till two in the morning you know working on stuff frank breaking story we had the best boss who on day one this guy jack kenny who was just like look i don't care what level you're at i don't if you've got a good idea i want to hear it if janitor's got a good idea i'll take it i don't care mm. we are all in this together we are a team and uh and, and, you know, it, he promoted us every season and it was just, it was just, it was great to sort of work in that environment. And, and it was, it was a fun show to make too, right? Yeah. It's got that steampunk aesthetic. It's got this, you know, great historical element to it. You know, this is the 13th warehouse. There've been, you know, 12 others throughout history and yeah. that warehouse moves when the, the balance of power shifts to another country, like all this great mythology and canon, mm. um, which we got to help build um, and having, Again, I, I won't take any credit for any similarities to the Phantom, but certainly the love of things like traditional characters and, and, and legacy stories and history being passed down through a person or an institution um, definitely influenced us as we were making that show. Yeah, and then like you've got like, the, there was the Chronicle stories as well, uh, uh, and then you had like their possessions, and so 
Uh, and then you had, there was a lot of similar artifacts that was in the Phantom Skull Cave that was also in the Warehouse 13 um, Skull oh, Cave, I guess you can call we'd, it. We'd, we had so much stuff in, in the warehouse. Like <laughs> the shelves were, were packed full of, I mean, there was a lot of bric-a-brac. Like a, our props team was fantastic. They just, they, they, they just like, like combed flea markets and just loaded it up with stuff and just, you know, aged it, weathered it and then like put it with cobwebs and shit. It just made it really cool. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like a lot of fun. Like I had a lot of fun watching it. It seemed like the uh, the main uh, ca- the characters who who um, on the show as well seemed like they had a lot of fun as well. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And I remember watching it, and then I saw your name, and I thought, and then the dots kind of joined up, and it's like, hey, he, he's the <laughs> right for the Phantom. And then it's like, oh, there's that kind of bit of influence, and you know, it's all probably coincidental, but. Um, uh yeah. yeah yeah i wouldn't say like i was like oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna get some phantom stuff in here but, <laughs> but it's but there's definitely some subconscious you know uh creativity at play there mm. um and then you went over to the flash and arrow as well yes um now now the reason i i raise that is for listeners on the podcast they've would have heard i'm not, not sure whether you call it a pitch or an idea or whatever but if if I ever saw the ideal Phantom TV show or movie, it will go along very similar with how they did it in the Arrow with the dual timelines, where you had the the current Phantom, but then you also have the the origin of the Phantom back in the you know fifteen hundreds. So you would be able to have the modern story, but then you would have the the lore or the legacy of the Phantom being told at the same time, which would then help establish the character to the newer newer fans in a sense mm. now that's how i would vision it now as someone who's actually a lot better and a lot more uh in the credits and the credential than me if king features came to you and said ben we want you to do a phantom tv show or if you had to pitch it how would you do it Uh, I mean, I, 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 what you just said is, is, is actually a great way to do it. I think um, I actually have a, a slightly more radical take that that's a kind of a big departure from what probably the Phantom fans would want. Um, just because I'd want to, I'd want to see. I don't know if it, it's it's more of a recognizing like that that the Phantom comes from. A, you know, a place that's maybe not his own. Um, I would, I would actually like to see the Phantom, like, like an African Phantom. To be honest, I would okay. like to tell the story of someone um, who came from that world. Wrote, you know, circumstances forced him to rise up to be a hero to protect his own country, rather be than be someone from somewhere else that 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 ended up somewhere. Um, uh, is that because of the that, white saviour and it's probably not that. culturally acceptable? A little bit of that. And I think, and I think there are, there, you know, there are hero stories to tell about people from certain places, you know what I mean? Like that we don't get to see that often. I think, like, I mean, you know, Bengal is not Wakanda, but I think there are, there are certain parallels to, to that. And I think there's an opportunity to, to see the phantom story 
same legacy, same tradition passed down through generations. Um, but the origin of it comes from a different place. Um, okay. Yeah, radical, mm. very different, not traditional. I might upset fandom fans. Good news is, don't worry, guys. I'm not. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no one's giving me the keys to that kingdom yet. Um, but um, you know, as as you've you've seen, you know, from my work on the character, like I, I always try to find a a different angle in, um, and that's that's something that would be very exciting to me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember you know Sci-Fi did their Phantom yes. show a few years. You know, while I was on, I think it was while I was still on Warehouse. Um, and and they, I think they embraced the wrong aspects of the character. Like they, they they tried to sort of take the instead of letting the Phantom be the Phantom, they felt the Phantom needed to be something else. Yeah. Um. And, and as a way of sort of updating the character, I think you can update the character in a different way. Okay. Um, and make it being you know, relevant to today. Um. I'm not saying he's irrelevant. He's always right. He's a hero. He's always relevant. Yeah, yeah, the world yeah. needs heroes, and and the Phantom is one of the greatest ones. I don't get me wrong. Um, I just have a just have a you know, slightly different take um, that I'd love to see. Yeah. So let's just say we stuck with the the white the white Phantom, which sure, kind of sure, sounds of racist. Um, do you like? Would you think it would work? Him set in. Africa, or would he have to be more set in, say, America or or something like that? Like, do you? This is actually a conversation I've had with a couple of fan fans recently, and yeah. I, yeah, I just, I like in our general, you know, in our society that we all are a part of at the moment. Could you know? Could it be? Could the fans be successful being based in in Africa? Um. I believe so. I, I like to think so. I, um, because to me, really, at the core of it, it's a family story. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and, and that's something that's universal, regardless of, you know, nationality, ethnicity, religion. Like, it just, it, he's, he's a husband and a father, and he's a hero, and he's someone who's, who's trying to do good for all. Mm. Right? Um, he, he stands as a force against evil. Right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, again, slams evil. <laughs> Um, if you, you see evil, slam it. Um, it's cool, but, uh, it's catchy. <laughs> listen, it, it works for the for the movie. Um, look, I even have the uh, the rings. Oh so, yes. Um, and is that a but, uh, is that a little statue next to it as well? Yeah, sure, right there. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, that's a nice piece. Bone, that one. Bone design. Yeah, uh, yeah, love it. It's such a great piece. Um, but um. No, I think what made Arrow successful, what makes The Flash successful, what makes any superhero story successful is it's not just about the hero. It's about the people around the hero. And, and whether it's a found family uh, or, or, in this case, a literal family, um, you, know, you kind of see it now with Superman and Lois. It, it, it's, it's, it's very much about family. And I think the fandom falls into that category. Um, oddly, I, I wouldn't want to see them in the United States. I wouldn't, I mean, not to say that they couldn't have adventures here, but I wouldn't want it to be based here. I want it to be based. I want it to be true to Bengala, true to the skull cave, true to all the, the, the 
trappings of what the phantom is um because it's that's not broke that's yeah. that's not the thing that needs to change it's just how you tell the story that needs to change and what the expectation is again the the invisible phantom spoke to that notion it was like in the, you know in the world today someone's not going to believe that this guy exists right there's a there's a big hole you can poke in the phantom lore and that's the immortality of this guy but at the end of the day you can't poke that hole because of the people around him because the relationships he has because the myth is bigger than the reality um and i wouldn't want to lose that um and i feel like and to me that's where the the sci-fi one went wrong was that it kind of it tried to make it more credible to today by imposing today on the character rather than seeing the character through, through the lens of today. Oh, that's interesting. Right, cause wasn't he like a spy or something? Yeah, he was, um, it was a, so it was a 22nd Phantom, uh, Diana, uh, he died, the 21st Phantom had died. Diana put him off to like fox, foster care. And then he was just a snotty nosed brat, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had carpool, you know, it was all parkour, the, you know, where you jump yeah. up the side of buildings and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so he was an expert in that. And I thought Ryan Carnes actually did a, a, an okay job. I thought mm-hmm. towards the end of it, it was actually getting quite good, but the costume and the helmet, was probably one of the um, the bigger stumbling blocks, I would say. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I just uh, it's 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 the kind of story you tell. Like, like, look, piracy still exists, right? So, and and corporate greed is 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 an evil that the world needs that needs to be fought by those who you know who are looking out for those that are being taken advantage of or oppressed or whatever. And so it's like. It, the Phantom is always relevant. He's never yeah. irrelevant. It's just how you ground the kinds of stories you put him in so that it's, again, comics and, and the newspaper strips are one medium that have audience expectations are a certain kind of thing. You put it out on film and television, the expectations change because not everyone cares about the same thing that, that fans of that medium might care about. Mm. so you end up having to make adjustments and changes to sort of to suit a wider i mean you know there's focus groups and demographics and all this stuff that like at the end of the day executives decide oh this is the road we're going to go down creatively yeah. it's always the road you want to go down or that's good for the character mm. and you end up with things that where it's like they're unrecognizable but if you stay true to the core then you should do okay yeah cool so um, we can expect a, movie, a TV show in about when? <laughs> uh, I'll get right on. It's funny because I actually did, uh, in knowing that we were going to be having this conversation, I, I reached out to my, to my manager. I was like, so, so who, what studio controls the rights to the character right now? I was just, just curious. Just, I'm curious to know. It doesn't mean anything's going to come of it. But, yeah. um, but, I'm, but I'd like to know who has it and to, to get a sense of like, are they, you know, are they just going to sit on it and not do anything? Or are they, you know, are they looking to try and do something mm. and what might they want to do? Yeah. 
Well, if you ever need um, uh, any uh, consultants, any consultancy work or anything like that, uh, you got my email I, I, address. I, yeah, I know where to turn. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, it was especially well because we see so much stuff like on Netflix and all that at the moment. Um, like I saw today that Super Ted's got a, a new TV show. Shira's just been re-imaged and and stuff like that. So and with a saturation of the media market always looking for something new surely there is room for the phantom to come with a new TV i think so. show. i think i, I think you, you you know you could you could get a great again yes keep him based in africa but it is the stories don't have to just be about the phantom yeah. protecting africa like you can do the international version of the phantom where he is still who he is he's not a spy or anything else he's still the phantom but the stories take him to places that you wouldn't expect yeah, yeah, uh, very good. Well, um, I I look forward to um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you've uh, contacted your agents. Hopefully, something <laughs> comes by. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I don't have any more questions. Do you have anything that we might have missed, or uh, a question you wish we asked, or or, or anything like that? No, no, I appreciate it. I, you know, um, thank you for pulling up the, the old books on the screen. Cause like, like I told you earlier, like my memory is fuzzy at best. It's been a long <laughs> time since I got to write the Phantom, but um, it, it brought it all back and I, re- and I really enjoyed this and I really appreciate it. And I, I hope your audience uh, learned some things that maybe they didn't know, or, um, you know, uh, they can always reach out to me on social media. Um, you know, always happy to, to take a question from a fan. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you guys doing this. No worries. So if any uh, company, Team Phantom Man or Fru or anyone reaches out looking for a Phantom story, would you write any more or? If I had time. Um, I, I, again, I'd have to figure out, you know, what it is I'd want to write about. Like, like yeah. as, as I did with those other stories, like what's, what's a, a dangling thread or a potential dangling thread that no one's explored. And, and, you know, I'm sure people smarter and better than me have, 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 dug into things but who knows what they've you know what seeds they've planted that can be built mm. upon um but yeah i mean you know if the door if the phone rings or the, the email comes in it's like never say never awesome awesome well i really enjoyed uh chatting with you i hope uh, our listeners uh enjoyed listening as well um uh enjoyed kind of getting learning a little bit about some of those stories that i that i grew up on that i um enjoyed reading uh, in the in the late nineties and early two thousands, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see your name splash up on some um, more screens of, uh, when we're watching the new TV sh- Phantom TV show. Um, and so, if people want to look at you, obviously they can look at your credits on IMBD. Uh, do you have like IMDb. a web IMDb? Yeah. Do you have yeah, like a yeah, website or anything like that also that people can follow you on? No, I mean you can you can just find me on Twitter uh, at Wonder Masons. No worries. Well, on our show notes, we'll have a link to that as well. Um, so I appreciate, I really appreciate um, you joining us today, Ben. Um, now, listeners, uh, thank you for listening to us. Obviously, you can find us at our website, which is chroniclechamber.com. Uh, email if you've uh, got any further questions or or any comments that you want to share. Uh, about today's podcast you can either email us which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com we're also on twitter we're also on facebook and we're also on instagram as well and uh as we said before this podcast will be on itunes uh which will be the video uh the video podcast so if you want to 
uh, look through the the stories as we're flicking through them, as uh, myself and Ben are talking about them. Uh, YouTube's the best way for that. Uh, if you want to listen to it on audio while you're doing your exercises or driving to work or something like that, uh, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes. Uh, and if you are an Android user, uh, some of the Android apps like Podbean, Player FM, CastBox, Listen Notes as well. So I uh, thank you, for everyone, for listening. Uh, shout out to uh, Dan and Stephen, who couldn't join us today. They'll be with us next time. Uh, ben, again, thank you a lot for... Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And for myself, happy family. survivor of a shipwreck And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad He said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy Injustice and cruelty And all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this Man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks. The Phantom, enemies beware. The Phantom's always there, but you won't find the Phantom.